everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Campbell. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused on security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So, been a minute since my last episode, and Lord knows there's bad news everywhere from the war in the Middle East to sharply rising anti-Semitism to the perpetual and sadly predictable Republican messing around in Congress. But in a slight break from the last few rather depressing episodes and the additional depressing one that I could do now, I'm going to instead bring you today a conversation that I recently had with a couple of folks about a much more positive set of developments coming out of the U.S.'s neighbor to the South. Before I say more on that, I just want to mention, as I have in the last few episodes, I recently started an email list to give folks a ping when a new episode comes out and to create a more direct way to get in touch. So go ahead and send me an email at oktalkspodcast at gmail.com if you want to join. And please do remember to subscribe to OK Talks on whatever platform you listen and be sure to share the show with anybody who you think might enjoy it or, you know, at least grudgingly tolerate it. So a few months ago, on episode 35 of OK Talks, I was joined by Edgar López Vallejo to talk about the attempt by the president of Mexico to massively undercut the system of free and fair elections in that country by basically castrating the organization that has really strengthened democracy in Mexico by serving as the almost universally trusted referee, effectively since the turn of the last century. President Andrés Manuel López Obrador, who everyone just calls AMLO, took a couple of swings at doing this, and actually seems to have kind of failed in all of them, despite being a pretty authoritarian leader in Mexico, and also for some reason being pretty broadly popular, despite having been, at least in my estimation, a kind of shitty president, for reasons we dug into more a bit back in that episode. Now, the fact that AMLO has, at least for now, seemed to have failed in his attempt to take Mexico back to the bad old days of rigged elections and an effective one-party dictatorship is great news, as, I would say in this case, is the fact that Mexican presidents are limited to a single term in office, all of which leads us to the question of who is going to come after AMLO. And we're going to consider that question today. But it's not going to be the only thing we're going to be talking about, because the question of who comes next as Mexico's president ties in with a broader theme in Mexican politics, which is that women in politics as such seems to be having a sort of moment in Mexico over the last couple of months. Now, the first piece of news that contributes to this theme is the fact that both of the two major political blocs in Mexico have announced a woman as their nominee for the presidential elections that will take place next summer. The second is that earlier this year, about a year after the U.S.'s own far-right Supreme Court decided that the whole land of the free thing doesn't really include the right of women in the states to choose whether or not they want to carry a pregnancy to term, yeah, Mexico's Supreme Court went the other way, decriminalizing abortion across the country. To discuss this sort of moment for women in politics in Mexico, I was really honored to be able to have a conversation with two people perfectly positioned to talk about it. One is, of course, our returning champion, Edgar López Vallejo, who is a political and economic analyst who's worked all over the place from New York to Rome to Istanbul and has been involved in politics north and south of the Rio Grande, most recently with me and Democrats Abroad. And the other is Marta Treviño Leiva, who is an expert in both international and human rights law, especially vis-a-vis women's rights and in Mexican electoral law. <laughs> I should say it's a good thing I'm able to introduce both of them here first, since you're about to hear me mess up, I think, both of their names at the beginning of our actual conversation. It's a tragic irony of this podcast. I've had guests from Poland, Iran, Turkey, a bunch of other places, and the names I butchered the worst so far were the ones in a language that I ostensibly speak. 
In addition to my introductory faux pas, there are a couple of things that you're going to hear for which I think I should provide a bit of context because it'll make it easier to understand the overall point of the conversation. I should say, unless you're already fairly plugged into the recent political history of Mexico or have heard that previous episode I mentioned before, I definitely recommend going back and listening to just like the first five minutes or so of episode 35 of OK Talks. I There I give a sort of quick and dirty overview of some recent political history in Mexico and of its current president. Now, admittedly, I, <laughs> I think I reference previous episodes of my own show a bit too often, but this bit of that episode I really do think would be helpful here. Short of that, I will here lay out a couple of things, like, like, like terms that it'll be helpful to know in advance of the conversation you're about to hear, a, a glossary of sorts. Now, first, there are the names of the two likely candidates in the upcoming presidential election, Claudia Scheinbaum and Xochitl Galvez. Claudia Scheinbaum will be representing Morena, the sort of left-leaning populist authoritarian party of the current president. Xochitl Galvez represents a bloc made up of basically all of the other political parties in Mexico, from more traditional left to right. I think in some ways you could see the upcoming election in Mexico as a sort of mirror image of what's happened in the last year or so in places like Poland and Hungary, where authoritarian parties, uh, right-wing authoritarian parties in both of those cases, were in a position to further consolidate their power and undermine democracy, so in the next election, basically the entire pro-democracy political spectrum spanning various ideologies lined up against them. In Poland this worked, in Hungary sadly not so much. In this episode you'll hear various of those parties mentioned, like the PRI, PRI, and PAN, P-A-N, and you'll also hear that, uh, hear that, that basically anti-AMLO, anti-Morena coalition referred to as the Frente or the Opposition. I think that's enough to be getting on with for now, so without any further ado, here's my conversation with Edgar and Marta. So I'm really excited to be joined by both uh, Marta Trevino Leiva, sorry, uh, and of course our returning champion Edgar Vallejo Lopez, and I just said your name out of order as well, but you know, we'll we'll get it right in the intro, I promise. Uh, so thank you both for coming on OK Talks, first of all. Um, I think we'll just end up having a pretty freewheeling conversation about this sort of moment vis-a-vis the situation of women in politics in Mexico that we're seeing right now with the confluence of uh, the expansion of, of abortion rights and then the fact that we're almost guaranteed that the next presidente will be a presidenta, which for you know, to be clear for anybody who has never heard a word of Spanish in their life, that means that the next president of Mexico is almost guaranteed to be a woman. Uh, so just to sort of start things off here, I should just say that I know vastly less about what we're talking about than both of my guests do. Uh, so I want to just start by getting a sort of a baseline for the history of uh, the role of women in politics in Mexico. Um, so I think to start with with Marta, uh, how much like how has this been? How has it been in terms of rep uh, representation in, say, Mexico's parliament? Like, is there has there for a while been a decent bit of, of female representation in parliament or is it still kind of an oh, my God, look, a lady congressman situation? <laughs> Oh, well, hi. Thank you, Oliver, for the introduction and uh, thrilled to be here. Um, so, yeah, well, Mexico actually has it's, you know, going through a, like a spring moment in women political participation. And we are one, if not the leading country in, in Latin America or India in America, the American continent, actually, regarding women participation. Um, we have gone through different stages. We Mexico, it's a it's a federation. So that means we have, of course, as uh, people from the United States are familiar with, different legislation. So the participation of women has been different according to each state and the federal level. So if we're just thinking about the federal level, we have had these periods when we have had um, 
quotas, so to speak. We don't use the term no. quota anymore because we're talking about the equal participation of at least two sides of the, of the um, well, yeah, of Mexicans, right? Women and, and men. Fortunately, we're also evolving into taking care of other representations, the representation of other groups. But, um, you know, speaking about this particular subject, um, we have had these quotas where um, first we had this period when women were just, you know, like a, a recommendation, political parties were recommended to include women. This was during the 90s and they wouldn't include them. And then we were to this period when we should be at least the 30% of the, um, of the candidacies. Um, it didn't say women, but it would say at least one of the genders should be 30% or one of the genders should be at least 30%. And of course, this was understood as women should be 30% and 70% would be men, right? Fortunately, though, I mean, we have gone through a lot of stages and we could talk more about it later. But fortunately, since 2018, uh, we were in, um, having a harder push into going to equal representation. This means 50-50, right? What we called parity. That's why we don't talk about quotas anymore because we are not a quota. We are half the, the half of the Mexicans again. So um, this implies that um, after 2018, actually, we got the first um, equally uh, formed Congress. Now we have almost 50%. We have like 49% and 51% in, in the chambers, and we are in great numbers. This um, followed with um, a very important reform in, in, the, in the constitutional level and also in the, se in the secondary legislation, as we would call it. This means electoral law, political, par political parties, laws, etc., etc., which um, have made it easier to have more women governors, more women uh, in the city council, more women in the Congress, in local Congresses. And fortunately now, the possibility, as you said, very likely possibility of having a female president, like finally, because we have been struggling with this since the 90s, right? We have had like this women participating, but never as strong as now. And this is a great time to be, you know, advocating for women political participation. Gotcha. So Edgar, as somebody who has been active in Mexican politics and is now like actively participating and working in American politics, um, I wonder if you have any sort of impressions or comments on on part of what what Marta just said there in terms of the the intentionality I guess um vis-a-vis -vis, like not just male participation in politics in Mexico versus the U.S. Yeah I think that we have come a long way uh the current federal congress uh, the the slogan of this uh this generation of uh, congress people is the Congress of Parity. So that's really good. It is clear that it has been recognized that women uh, are worth just as much as any man in the representation of the people. Uh, but I do see uh, uh, some particularities that uh, worry me a bit. We will be talking about this. Um, I think that uh, there is a divide, and there has been a divide uh, for a long time between 
um, the metropolitan areas, uh, namely Mexico City, that has always been more progressive in representation uh, for women and everything else. And what happens in, in the states, in provinces, where the influence of the, the traditional influence of the Catholic Church has held back uh, many of these uh, conquests for for not only for women but but in general. This this actually yeah. this makes makes me think of another thing that I that I, I didn't know is going to come up. But here we are, uh, as as predicted. Um, I don't know. I, sh I should know off the top of my head. I also should have just Googled this before. But then again, again, I didn't know I was going to bring this up. Um, I think, uh, Marta, based on the statistics that you put out, I think that the Mexican Congress is at this point more gender equal than the American one or the, the you know the one of the United States. And uh, the funny thing in the United States is that like the vast majority of women that are elected in the United States belong only to the Democratic Party. Uh, is this is it the case in Mexico that so it's it's like roughly 50 50? Or is it a situation where most of the women that are elected belong to a particular block, or is that pretty like cross-partisan? So before I I answer that, or maybe Edgar can, because I actually I don't have the numbers on each political party, but I can say two things that I find very interesting about what you just asked and uh, what uh, Edgar was discussing. So um uh yeah, indeed that's sort of what I referred before by saying that there are a lot of steel groups. A lot of groups still that we have to include and make sure are politically represented. That's, for example, indigenous women, right? We still have like those that subject to to address, and we are working on that, or authorities are working on that. I mean, we as you know Mexicans uh, and people who who do electoral law, but also a lot of the um, the proposals have come. From the states, in fact, um, Mexican democracy has become stronger from the states to the federation. The first time that we had a voting ID, it came from either Baja California or Baja California Sur, uh, Southern Baja California. Um, same thing with the first governor. They, I mean, the first female in the administrative power came from the states, right? And uh, many other, oh, for example, I'm originally from the north of Mexico, Chihuahua. And uh, when we had already a quota of 60-40, the Federation still had a 70-30 mm -hmm. um, quota. So, you know, uh, fortunately, electoral law in Mexico, it gets, you know, like nurtured by all these elements. And talking about the United States Congress and the Mexican Congress, what I know, uh, I was doing this research last year, is that thanks to quotas and legislation that we have in Mexico and um, what we call judicial activism. This is mostly the judicial authorities or the, in our case, the National Electoral Institute and also all these authorities in the states being, you know, like going further than what the law says. We currently the United States, I don't remember the numbers, but when I was making the comparison, the numbers of the United States at the moment in the con in Congress are equivalent to what we had in the 70s. This is Mexico, exactly. Ooh, it's it's a problem. Wait till we get to the abortion part of the conversation. This is going to be a fun day for the U.S. by comparison. <laughs> you guys are falling behind, and you guys are dropping the 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 ball in women political participation because you know we we beat you guys. And the United States participation of women started way earlier than than Mexican women and many other places in the American continent. So 
you know, there's some room for improve improvement, let's say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so since and though I... I agree with that, I would want to address the question that you uh, that you asked. Um, I think that there are particularities that regard the cultures. While uh, in the United States we have this division largely against ideological divides. Uh, the, this is the parties. Uh, the Democratic Party supports more women, supports abortion. The Republican Party is very paternalistic. It doesn't support abortion. Things like it, it, it are like those. Uh, this has, these are social, sociopolitical issues. However, in Mexico, um, uh, we have another element, another ingredient, which is uh, the family, the, the family structure and how the family structures permeate the political structure. So while it is true that um, we are in Mexico doing better regarding women than uh, the United States, uh, the ascent of women has been linked to powerful men who have been part of the ruling elites in the past. So uh, this has come before, as, as Marta said, there have been female candidates to the presidency, um, but it may have happened that this political candidate was the wife of a former president for the PAN, right? So uh, that does remind of the Peron dynasty, and we are having that problem too in Mexico. Uh, it looks like the women who are getting there uh, are getting them not only because of their qualifications, because they have them. Clearly, Claudia Sheinbaum is a woman of state that can deal with, uh, see, if she can deal with, the, with Mexico City, she can deal with the presidency. However, there's much that has to do with uh, these women coming to the candidacies because they are part of families, powerful families. You know, there's... Um, the, uh, a clear example is the uh, uh, the current governor of the Guerrero. The Morena party uh, postulated for governor in Guerrero, which is a very difficult state uh, plagued by, by uh, violence and cartels and uh, narco-traffic for centuries. Um, the candidate actually who was this guy, uh, his name was Salgado, uh, he was accused of rape several occasions, and that derailed his candidacy. Uh, but then Morena substituted his candidacy, his candidacy with his daughter. And now the governor of Guerrero is Evelyn Salgado, who has no visible accomplishments for being the governor of these states, other than being the daughter of this man. And that was very clear in a, a couple of weeks ago. Hurricane Otis devastated Acapulco, devastated Acapulco. And the government was nowhere to be seen before or after. I mean, before they didn't even organize civil protection measures to keep people from harm. And afterwards they were gone. So we have this problem. So if we are advancing uh, in women's rights, we are held back by nepotism. Hmm. I sense, uh, Marta, you might want to have to weigh in on that as well, so go ahead. 
Yeah, well, no, I um, I think um, the comment that um, Edgar brings up is very interesting because, again, Mexico has come a long way in legislation and uh, have the authority that addresses um, many statements or a lot of discourse, discourses that, um, you know, like show this kind of belief because, uh, unfortunately, something that we see very common it's a lot of gender-based violence right for women participating a lot of gender-based violence and uh, we have identified in our legislation several ways of um of violence one of them being what we know as uh, symbolic violence right and that includes um statements that can underestimate the capacity or the ability of women by the relation that they may have to other people or what they have done in the past or you know like many other things that can be related to family roles or the traditional roles and um fortunately uh well authorities have done like different um as i said before they have gone further than the law than the that what the law specifically says all this i have to to make to be to be clear all this being in a constitutional way, right? That our legal systems are different. So if we have uh, people from the United States listening to this and then having like a Mexican lawyer saying, oh, we go farther than what the law says, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're breaking the law. It, I meant to say, it doesn't mean at all we're breaking the law. Huh? It's exceeding the minimum requirement. Exactly, yes. Um, so, um, you know, and I think uh, this is something that uh, positions Mexico in a very good place and that helps women um, going further uh, uh, again and also facilitates this point where we are having like a, a two female candidates because unfortunately it's been very common you you guys i bet you're maybe i bet you are familiar with um erica pando pando i, I think it was her last name um the governor of puebla that, you, you may be overestimating my familiarity please enlighten us <laughs> So um, she was the governor of Puebla, uh, a state in the, well, geographical, well, the political center of, of Mexico. Um, and um, she was married to the previous governor. Um, and then when she was running, she was, of course, victim of gender-based violence. There were like all these spots that would say things like, oh, come on, but are you really going to buy, to, to vote, sorry, for her? Like she knows nothing. Like her, her only accomplishment has been to be married to the governor. Of course, I'm not saying this, right? That this is what the spots would say. And this is a case of uh, symbolic violence against women, like saying that she wouldn't be capable because her only accomplishment is to be married to somebody else. And then uh, that spot was analyzed by the authorities and it was declared to be against the law because it was not promoting like a fair participation of women and it was being based on gender stereotypes. With that, in that case, with her campaign, we accomplished something else that was very important. You know how Spanish would have genders, right? And when you have genders in a language, it's very easy to use terms either in a sexist way or the language can also be used to uh, not to to allow that some like one of the genders is not visible. So, for example, the old um, the campaigns would be to the election of male governor, to the election of male 
senator, to the election of male deputies, right? Fortunately, after she brought this case to, to the attention of the authorities, we were thinking about, um, you know, gobernaturas, which would be just like the position instead of the title. Rather, of the so gobernaturas rather than gobernador or gobernadora. Exactly. Uh, so right. candidata, la candidatura a gobernatura or a senaduría, right? So mm -hmm. like to the seat. And, um, you know, like this is something else that um, has allowed for women to, to go further. And it's also important to note that this kind of speech kind of uh, saying that uh, the, um, the qualities, the qualifications that women have are just based in the position or the relation that they have to other people and these people being other men, it's something that we're also being able to eliminate of our discourse in, in Mexico. So moving to respond to that, if I may, go for it. Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't want to be construed as being violent to women for having said what I said. I think that um, having more women, having parity, is absolutely necessary. And I may just say that um, I was born to a mother who has been a feminist since the 1950s in Mexico. She was one of the people who was doing sexual education and uh, and helping women to do Planned Parenthood at that time, I uh, never had a problem with considering a woman uh, as capable as any man for her accomplishments. However, I think that we do need to be careful uh, that we don't gloss over the accomplishment of women when these women uh, are part of other structures that need to be analyzed, analyzed too. Uh, I do think that, and, as I, and I said it, uh, Claudia Sheinbaum clearly has all the capacities that uh, and the qualifications that she would need to be president. Uh, Evelyn Salgado Tosen, she is the daughter of this person. And there are more, there are more examples. Uh, recently, uh, Lopez Obrador has been fighting with uh, the judicial power and with electoral uh, power. And this is a, a very important issue because um, we're talking about democracy here, whether we chip away at democracy or, or not. Um, the executive power of Lopez Obrador has been trying to reduce the capacities and the scope of the uh, of the powers of the judicial power below what it's mandated in the constitution. That is a problem. It has tried to undermine the electoral uh, institute and the electoral tribunals. Uh, and that is uh, going against democracy. Now, um, there has been a vacancy in the Supreme Court in Mexico and Morena sent a, a Terna three candidates uh, proposing to Congress who would have to choose them. And they were all women. Uh, they were all qualified uh, professionally. They all work in what they would need to work on uh, to, to be part of the Supreme Court. However, they are sisters or wives or they are related to people who are very close men uh, to, the, to the cupola of the Morena party. This is important because then we're not talking only about whether there's a gender disparity in Mexico, but we're talking about whether 
women are part of the democracy or are part of the people who are trying to do away with democracy. So uh, I think that we should open up the conversation. Um, without opening the conversation too far beyond the original uh, two sort of branches of things that I wanted to talk about here, I want to make sure we do get to the second one before uh, before we run out of time and Zoom kicks us out. We can certainly circle back uh, to the, the the questions of dynasties later, possibly depending on the amount of time that's left. Um, I just I want to make sure that we that we do talk about the abortion thing. So, for the sake of the audience, I will, I will probably have said some of this in the in the intro, but in the in the last couple of months, um, and please forgive me if I'm explaining this incorrectly, but the Mexican Supreme Court did basically the opposite of what the U.S. Supreme Court did uh, about two years ago, or no, last summer rather, in destroying the national right to abortion in the United States. The Mexican Supreme Court did the opposite and has decriminalized it across the board in Mexico. So. I think uh, all of us here in this particular call, and I'm, if I know my audience, I assume basically everybody listening to this think that that's progress and a very good thing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how this is landing in Mexico, uh, because um, like we, we've all seen how in the United States, the response to the shredding of this longstanding right has been not particularly well received. Um, and without going down that rabbit hole, I just want to talk about like, how is this landing in Mexico? So like, Mexico, I know for a long time, has been more progressive on abortion rights than most other countries in Latin America, but it is still, as has been mentioned a couple of times in this conversation already, is still a country in which most people are Catholic and uh, the Catholic Church has quite a lot of dominance. So I just kind of want to open the floor here to get both of your opinions as to uh, how you think that this decision is landing. Like, what is it? What is it? What does the response from people in Mexico seem to be to the fact that abortion is now decriminalized nationwide? Right. So um, thinking about, um, fortunately, I will say again, uh, like this, you know, you know, like gender spring that we're going through in Mexico, I think um, the feminist community would be like generally happy of where things are, are heading at the moment. Um, unfortunately, sometimes I was talking about um, judicial activism before. Sometimes the judicial power can be moving far faster than other branches in, in, in the government. And this happens in every country, right? Um, I see that you want to say something, yes? Yeah, no, no continue. This is reminding me of the next question I want to ask about this. So. <laughs> okay, so um, I think, yeah, like we have been doing efforts in Mexico since at least 2021 um with uh, one of the northern states uh Coahuila it's the name it's a northern and a bordering state with the United States um pushing for abortion to be decriminalized and uh well again Mexico has 32 states now that uh, Mexico that Mexico City is also considered to be a state and the legislation can be very very particular and uh can differ right so um, we have had um you know, efforts in many states to to promote this, but some states have gone slower, like Edward was saying before, it would depend on the kind of tradition that each each particular each um, particular state has, or the political party that it's more popular in each state, because, um, of course, electoral agendas will be different. So the decision in this, this year that again, sets Mexico and Latin America going further uh, than, than the United States in protecting rights of women, specifically in this case, uh, you know, has landed, I think, as a very, as very good news because it can help expedite how, 
how women and how the women's rights are are perceived in in the country. So to to one of the points that you brought up there about the fact that this change was brought on not by legislation or by some sort of popular referendum, but rather by uh, judicial, we could call it judicial activism or just judicial review by a, by a, well, a, a judicial action resort resulted in abortion being decriminalized in Mexico. So this, in a number of different countries where abortion rights have been both expanded and restricted, it has been not necessarily via popular referendum or elected representatives or something but in the same way as it was in the United States in the early 70s, where Roe versus Wade decriminalized abortion nationally, it's happened the same way here in Mexico. So I'm I'm curious what we all think will be could be the long term effect on Mexican politics vis-a-vis -vis this like this having happened. So in the US, like in 73, when I think it was 73, when Roe versus Wade came down. Almost every election has had some component about abortion, you know, as as in the the 80s on the right demagogue the issue. And now that the right to abortion has been restricted in the United States, it's going to be a thing that's going to be a pretty fundamental part of the Democratic Party's platform everywhere going forward. Is this are we likely to see a similar situation in Mexico where the question of abortion rights is is on the table every election cycle? Uh, I don't I think, think that so. we're going to see this. I don't think that we're going to see this in the short term. This opposition between pro uh, pro choice and anti abortion forces. Uh, what I have seen in Mexico happening for a few years now is that um, progressive forces, women, very clearly among them, have been um, having actively trying to push pro-choice measures. Uh, this, what happened in the Supreme Court in Mexico, it's not uh, the only thing that happened. The Congress, uh, Mexico City Congress, also a couple of years ago, uh, passed a resolution on decriminalizing abortion. So uh, I think that, as I said, there, uh, they, they, there are progressive forces that are helping with that. And also, uh, the women movement, women's movement as a gender uh, movement is progressing and it is much stronger now that in, than it used to be. So those are forces that are alive and well and pushing. However, on the other side, on the anti-abortion side, what we have had traditionally is the Catholic Church pushing against it. Now, Traditionally, historically, from the 20th century uh, up, uh, up to the 21st century, the uh, popular party that has been associated with religion and the Catholic Church has been the PAN. Now, this PAN uh, is indeed still anti-abortion, largely uh, now, but they are not actively pushing for uh, to stop uh, pro-choice uh, measures. I think that this is part of a larger thing, two things. First, in the short term, it is not very convenient to push against uh, pro-choice uh, measures because women are a very important part of the, of the workforce now, of the electorate now, and they are awake and they know in Mexico, uh, they know that they, not only have to fight for the for the rights, but they are making progress. So I think that the PAN is very worried about losing those those votes. Uh, 
Furthermore, the second thing is that the PAN and the PRI, also the old party that was in charge for so much of the 20th century, um, they don't really have a project they don't have a project of a country. They define basically everything they do as opposed to what the Morena and for transformation, Lopez Obrador party, the left center to the left are doing. So they don't, they don't really have a program to push, a project of a country, and they don't want to mess with the, the women's vote, especially in a year that we have a woman on the Morena side and on their side, the pre and pan, they have chosen as a woman, Clara Brugada, to uh, Clara Brugada, I'm sorry for the for Mexico City, Xochitl Galvez to fight against Claudia Sheinbaum. So the woman's vote is essential in this election. Just if I can, if I can summarize, so I make sure I understand what you're saying. You think that despite the fact that two of the more sort of traditional parties in Mexico have have not been very pro-choice in the past, you think they're not going to dig their heels in on this very much at the moment because since they don't have a very strong agenda, they're going to want to avoid alienating the women's vote. And Marta, does that does that sound accurate or do you have a different impression? I, I sort of agree and sort of defer at the same time uh, for different reasons. So uh, from, from a legal perspective, I would think that it shouldn't be a debate anymore because we are talking about solutions coming from our jurisprudence, right? Um, nevertheless, I think, well, I remember, um, if I remember correctly, I I think Sochit Galvez, which is the candidate going through the, um, from the, Frente, which is like every like all the opposition pretty much um, aligning against um, Morena and uh, the candidate Claudia, Claudia Sheinbaum that has been mentioned before. Um, I think she used to be more vocal about her position on women's rights. And indeed, after being the candidate of this particular coalition, um, she has become more uh, reserved in, mm. in her comments. So. Um, that takes me to what we were discussing before. There's this still unfortunate double standard that we have for women when we care more about particularities in their candidacies than or in their role in public office that we care for men, right? So I think despite of the um, political affiliation of any candidate, it's still going to be a you know, like a point of interest mm. or either the, the the political party that they are fighting against or for the population to either, you know, know whether, where they stand in abortion or whether if they are somebody's relatives. So this is unfortunate, unfortunately happens, you know, generally as a double standard for women. So even though I agree with Edgar's thinking that it shouldn't be a, a problem anymore, I think there's still going to be active in the in the debate. Which which um, but then if that's the case, if both Galvez and Scheinbaum are unlikely to want to make an issue of this, which side will be attacking which as being too in favor of abortion or something? Uh, well, uh, I would like to hear Marta on this. I would think that. It is the traditional opposition, pre and pan, who want to find it in the future uh, useful for their position to be against abortion. But 
I don't think that they're going to go that way, for uh, at least in the for the time being. Well, um, speaking as a person who's aggressively pro-choice and is uh, very happy to see this progress being made vis-a-vis -vis this issue in Mexico, I hope you're right. Uh, it would be very interesting as an American watching from a country that has our own election in which abortion is almost certain between the two inevitably male candidates to play a very important role in the 2020 election in the United States. It would be very interesting to look south of the border to see an election in which both uh, political blocs are represented by women who, at least <laughs> when compared to the election in the north side of the border, don't give a shit about the question of abortion because they will simply accept that it is now legal in Mexico by uh, by constitutional fiat via the Supreme Court. Oh, those were the days back in the U.S. when we used to have that. Um, well, in any case, I think we're just about out of time. So I want to just thank you both uh, for this really interesting conversation. Um, I wish we had more time because I have more questions, but um, thank you both so much for coming on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Great, great to be with you guys. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you're liking the show and want to make sure not to miss the next episode, hit subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast or shoot me an email at oktalkspodcast at gmail.com to be added to the email list. If you really want to do me a solid, please do go ahead and share the show with anybody you think might enjoy it. Thanks to anybody who already has. Thanks in advance to anyone who will. Thanks as always to Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork and to everyone else for listening.